We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Away we go. Episode 114 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, the first full day of NBA free agency this offseason, as things are happening as I speak right now regarding the Wizards. We are on Spencer Dinwiddie Watch. More on that. In a few minutes, this Tuesday, August 3rd, also marks the first day of padded practice for the Washington football team at training camp this year. Things be getting physical in Ashburn later on this Tuesday. You know, it has been a chippy training camp for the Washington football team so far. All kinds of trash talking. Ron Rivera multiple times has talked about having to talk to his guys about their behavior. That's good. I like that. There's an edge to this team. There's some Neanderthal to this team. Nothing wrong with that. I have a lot for you on the show on the Washington football team. There will be some COVID-19 player vaccination talk, but not much. That topic only came up briefly during Ron Rivera's post-training camp practice press conference on Monday. We have a lot of football, pure, unadulterated football to discuss, including Ron on two linebackers and Cole Holcomb and Kalik Hudson drawing attention in camp. Ron on the latest in the quarterback competition. And we'll do a deep dive on Antonio Gibson. Ron on Monday got asked about Gibson a bunch. Gibson on Monday did a post-practice press conference of his own. Is this coming season going to be the big step forward season for Gibson that so many are anticipating? Is Antonio Gibson poised to become Washington's version of Christian McCaffrey, a dual threat running back, the likes of which you could argue that Washington has never had. In other words, a guy capable of a thousand yard, thousand yard season. Yeah, I said it. Thousand rushing yards, thousand receiving yards. 
McCaffrey did that in the 2019 regular season during, right, Ron's final season as Carolina Panthers head coach. Is Antonio Gibson pulling a McCaffrey, a thousand yard, thousand yard season, or even teasing that a legitimate possibility in the 2021 regular season? We also have some perhaps telling comments from William Jackson III on Monday to chew on. Big night at Nationals Park on Monday night. The Nats debut of Josiah Gray. He did well. Uh, The Nats bullpen did not do well. I'll talk Nats later in the show. And I'll talk Orioles late in the show as they did what I love for them to do. And that is beat up on the New York Yankees. And Orioles win at the Yankees on Monday night. That has not happened often. So if you're an O's fan, you take it when you can get it. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like for the power of the pod to work for you, to grow your business or practice, especially as we approach football season, and in some ways already are in football season. You know, advertising on the Al Galdi podcast works. Just ask John Grandland, aka John G, aka the master of commission flex. He's due to be listing homes for Brian S and Lou D, two big time listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. They heard about John Grandland via this podcast. So shout out to my guys, my homies, Brian S and Lou D, two intelligent people, two DMV warriors. And if you want to join the movement that is this podcast and benefit like John Grandlin benefits, hit us up, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Coach Christopher Lunn of Walt Whitman High School. You know, I've said it. We have all kinds of impressive people who listen to this podcast. Actually, by definition, you just listening to this podcast (laughs) makes you impressive. But anyway, Coach Christopher Lunn of Walt Whitman High School, he has been Whitman's varsity men's basketball head coach for a decade and a half, has had a dominant run, very respected in the DMV basketball scene. Writes Coach Al, down in Aruba for the week, pumped to listen to all of the WFT news while taking in the white sand and clear water from my beach chair, bringing the pod to the Caribbean, dot, 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 listening flex. I love it. Coach Lund. See, that's a smart coach right there, channeling his inner Coach Rivera and going with the listening flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. But that right there is why Coach Lund has had the success that he's had, that kind of mastery of the situation. So I am recording this right now at, uh, let me check my phone, 1.36 a.m. on Tuesday. As I speak, we have multiple reports that the Wizards, I said Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, the Wizards are nearing agreement on a deal for Spencer Dinwiddie of the Brooklyn Nets. NBA free agency started on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as that was when teams were allowed to start negotiating with free agents because we all know that NBA teams would never, ever, ever begin negotiating with free agents prior to the time at which teams are allowed to negotiate with free agents. The reporting for days has been that the Wizards would be in on Dinwiddie. I talked about Dinwiddie at length on Monday's show, episode 113. And sure enough, it looks like the Wizards are getting Dinwiddie. Tweet from ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski at 12.16 a.m. on Tuesday. Free agent guard Spencer Dinwiddie is nearing a deal with the Washington Wizards, sources tell ESPN. Tweet from NBA insider Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report at 12.30 a.m. 
on Tuesday. Quote, Spencer Dinwiddie is nearing an agreement with the Washington Wizards that will pay roughly $60 million over three years per league sources. Talks are still ongoing in their Los Angeles meeting, end quote. So it's not often that as I tape this podcast, news is breaking, but such is the case here very early on this Tuesday morning. The presumption is that this will be a sign and trade. We just don't know the details right now, though. So I will reserve doing a whole segment on this until we know what the Wizards are giving up. It would be silly to sound off on this without knowing what the Wizards are giving up. I mean, I guess it is possible the Wizards are signing Dinwiddie as just a straight, unrestricted free agent. We'll see. We just don't know enough right now. I will say getting Spencer Dinwiddie isn't enough to transform the Wizards into a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. And that needs to be the goal. Get to being a top three seed in your conference. Otherwise, you basically have no shot at an NBA title. And that's what this needs to be about, building a true NBA title contender. Enough of this with the Wizards having not gotten past the second round in the NBA playoffs since 1979. So I think about this and I'm like, you know, it can't be that Bradley Beal is your number one and Spencer Dinwiddie, who, oh, by the way, is coming off a torn right ACL, is your number two. And that's the plan. There needs to be more to the plan. I suspect that there is more to the plan. But Dinwiddie can score. There's no doubt about that. Like, Dinwiddie can play. Uh, I just would like to know what else is going to be happening here with our Wizards. So hopefully the next time we converse on this podcast, we have a better idea of what's going on here. I tend to think that we will. It was interesting following NBA free agency on Monday night. A number of point guards quickly came off the free agent market on Monday evening per reports. The New Orleans Pelicans agreed with the Charlotte Hornets on a sign and trade for Devontae Graham. That was notable because the Pelicans reportedly had been in on Spencer Dinwiddie. Lonzo Ball agreed on a big money deal with the Chicago Bulls. Derek Rose agreed to re-sign with the New York Knicks. Corey Joseph agreed on a deal to re-sign with the Detroit Pistons. We knew that the Wizards needed a point guard. Uh, The Wizards, right, reportedly, it's not official yet, are trading Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers. But that's the thing. Like, among the things coming back to the Wizards from the Lakers, right, are three players in Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Montrez Harrell. So are those guys going back to the Brooklyn Nets in this sign-and-trade for Spencer Dinwiddie? Like, again, we just don't know. We need to know more. But the Wizards need point guards here. Westbrook is being traded. Among the Wizards' unrestricted free agents are two point guards, Haul Neto and Ish Smith. Oh, by the way, the Wizards on Monday evening did lose one of their unrestricted free agents. Alex Len reportedly agreed on a two-year deal with the Sacramento Kings. Robin Lopez is an unrestricted free agent for the Wizards as well. So lots to sort through with the Wiz as NBA free agency is up and running. But yes, as we speak right now, very early on this Tuesday morning, things are happening with our Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, that team. Exactly. All right, on to the Washington football team. All right, so 2021 Washington football team training camp now is at the team facility in Ashburn of having been in Richmond For the first five days, last Tuesday through Saturday, we on Monday had the first training camp practice of this year's camp in Ashburn. We on Tuesday will have the first padded practice of Washington's training camp this year. Let us get the COVID-19 stuff out of the way, and then we'll do a ton on actual football. So when we last left you on as the COVID turns, we had seven Washington football team players on the reserve COVID-19 list, including Brandon Sheriff, Curtis Samuel, Cornelius Lucas, Deron Payne, 
and Matt Ioannidis, but we also had Washington's player vaccination rate for COVID-19 having increased by quite a bit. It's interesting what has and has not gotten attention over these last few days. Now, on this podcast, we talked about both items, but uh, elsewhere, I feel like you're only getting one part of the story. So the one part of the story you continue to get is that Washington has placed seven players on the reserve COVID-19 list. But also going on right now is Washington's player vaccination rate for COVID-19 having gone up by quite a bit. Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post on Saturday afternoon tweeted that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at at least 70%. It was just two Thursdays ago, July 22nd, that Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington tweeted that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was between 50 and 60%. And it was just on July 16th that we had multiple reports that Washington still had a COVID-19 player vaccination rate of less than 50%. So that's progress, right? From less than 50% to between 50 and 60% to, as of Saturday, at least 70%. And Ron Rivera, at his post-training camp practice press conference on Saturday, said that more players were set to get vaccinated for COVID-19 on Sunday. So this was Ron at his post-training camp practice press conference on Monday on if he got the turnout at the vaccine setup on Sunday that he was hoping for. We're very pleased with what what we did yesterday. It was a good step in the right direction, and we're continuing to trend, uh, trend up. And that was it from Ron on that. Uh, He did not get asked much more about the COVID-19 player vaccination stuff. And I don't think that any tears were shed over Ron not getting asked much more about the COVID-19 player vaccination stuff. The only other COVID-19 related question for Ron on Monday, and this is worth noting and filing away, Ron was asked if whether a player is vaccinated for COVID-19 will enter into whether to keep that player on the season opening roster. No. Because, again, we know we're going to have guys coming into the regular season that are unvaccinated. And so if that's the case, if, if it comes down to it, you know, we're going we're gonna to take who we think is the best player that gives us a chance to win. Uh, but they'll also make sure they understand that the protocols are real. You know, the, 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 what we're going to have them do, the masking, the social distancing, the grab and go, you know, they're, 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 they're going to have to do it. The contact tracing, all that. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. If, if you're vaccinated, great. And if you're not, you're following the protocols to the dot. The league came out with its, with its penalties. Uh, we're going to follow those to, to, to the T. And that's just, as I said, that's the way it will be for us. You know, hearing Ron say, quote, we know that we're going to have guys coming into the regular season that are unvaccinated, end quote. That goes back to what Ron said at his post-practice press conference on Saturday when he said that some guys are dug in and aren't changing. Ron knows that he isn't winning this battle with everyone, maybe even not with most players. And I have had it suggested to me that Ron should just start cutting guys who refuse to get vaccinated for COVID-19. No, he shouldn't. Okay, you can't do that. I mean, what if Chase Young and Montez Sweat refuse to get vaccinated for COVID-19? You're going to cut those guys? No freaking way. You can't make people do this. You shouldn't make people do this. You shouldn't guilt trip people into doing this. You should explain to people the science behind doing this. You should explain the actual facts to people who have questions about doing this or who are resistant toward doing this. But you can't force people to take shots that people don't want to take, point blank, period. Well, a man who I know can cut through the discourse and the politics when they come to the COVID-19 pandemic and give things to you straight is Dr. Matthew Mintz. Ron Rivera should have Dr. Mintz 
talk to the Washington football team and answer any questions that players may have. Ron should have Dr. Mintz talk to Dan Snyder and uh, set a few things straight with him. But anyway, Dr. Mintz is an internal medicine and primary care physician who is rated as a top doctor by both Washingtonian and Bethesda magazines. If you need a regular doctor, Dr. Mintz is accepting patients in his concierge practice. Dr. Mintz also offers something very special and groundbreaking in the treatment of depression called Spravato. Spravato is a new FDA-approved medication shown to be safe and effective in patients with what is called treatment-resistant depression. You see, while most patients respond to traditional prescription medications for depression, up to one-third of patients do not improve even after two or more medications. This is called treatment-resistant depression, which can be debilitating for patients and lead to thoughts of suicide, even suicide attempts. If you or someone you know is dealing with treatment-resistant depression, understand it doesn't have to be this way. Spravato is a nose spray administered in a doctor's office. Unlike most pills that can take weeks to work, Spravato can start working right after the first treatment. And because Spravato is approved by the FDA, Spravato is covered by most insurance companies. Dr. Mintz will work with your insurance company to make sure that Spravato is approved and understand that for most patients, the cost of each dose is only $10. Yeah, $10, totally worth it to get your life back. And for patients with Medicare, Medicaid, or Kaiser, or with an insurance that doesn't cover Spravato, Dr. Mintz is also able to administer nasal ketamine, a nose spray similar to Spravato, and that treatment should cost less than $10 per treatment, even without insurance. Spravato can only be administered in authorized healthcare settings. And Dr. Matthew Mintz is one of the few physicians in the DMV who is authorized to administer Spravato in his private Bethesda office. Dr. Mintz and his staff will monitor you closely throughout your treatment to ensure your comfort and safety. You can find out more by going to drmintz.com, that's D-R-M-I-N-T-Z.com, and clicking on the Spravato link. But if you, a friend or a loved one, have depression that is not getting better with traditional treatments or medications, there's no need to continue to suffer. Contact Dr. Mintz to find out if Spravato may be right for you. You can call Dr. Mintz's office at 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure when you call to mention this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, because doing so will get you $50 off your initial consultation. That phone number again, 855-646-8963. There's no need to suffer from treatment-resistant depression. Contact Dr. Matthew Mintz and tell him that Al Galdi sent you. All right, some notable Washington football team players were not practicing fully on Monday due to injury. Kyle Allen, due to tweaking his surgically repaired left ankle on Saturday. Jonathan Allen, dealing with a hamstring. Jamin Davis, dealing with an eye infection of getting poked in the eye. That uh, does not sound fun. What is it with DC athletes and their eyes, by the way? Rui Hachimura of the Wizards missed time this past season due to conjunctivitis, and now Jamin Davis is dealing with an eye infection of getting poked in the eye. Anyway, while we're talking, Jamin, Washington's linebacking core came up a decent amount during Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Monday. No linebacker was better for Washington last season than Cole Holcomb, who, by the way, is sporting the mullet to end all mullets in training camp. For those of you who watch Narcos, if you remember Ramon and his mullet, Cole Holcomb's mullet is Ramon-like, okay? You have to watch Narcos to get that. But if you watch Narcos, you get that. Anyway, Ron on Monday on the kind of camp that Holcomb is having. 
Oh, I think he's had an excellent camp. He really has done a nice job. You, you see his retention from last year has been excellent. Um, you know, last year, I don't know if you remember, but he missed about, what, a week and a half. Uh, now he's back out there and, and running around doing things that uh, we hope he's, he could do, and he's, he's, he's done a great job. He really has. Yeah, Holcomb's biggest problem last season was injury. He, in the 2020 regular season, played in just 11 games. He missed four consecutive games early in the season, weeks two through five, due to a knee injury, and then missed a loss to the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field in week 15 due to a concussion. So, you know, he wasn't available as much as you would have wanted last year. But otherwise, Holcomb had a good season. Holcomb, in the 2020 regular season, had an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of 72.0. That's not outstanding, but, you know, that's decent. I mean, Washington's linebacker core was not lights out last season. Holcomb, to me, was the best of the bunch. And Holcomb, in case you don't know, a Jay Gruden draft pick. Jay advocated strongly for Washington to take Holcomb, and he has proven to be a nice find. Washington took Holcomb in the fifth round of the 2019 NFL Draft out of North Carolina. Holcomb and Matt Ioannidis, two day three draft finds for Washington that are due to Jay Gruden. Jay had his faults, but he had an eye for talent, especially defensive talent, interestingly enough. Another linebacker who came up during Ron's post-practice press conference on Monday was Kalik Hudson, who has been getting a look at the Buffalo nickel position. Uh, That is essentially a safety who serves as the fifth defensive back as the slot corner when Washington has five defensive backs on the field, i.e. is in nickel. Washington took Hudson in the fifth round of the 2020 NFL draft out of Michigan. It is true that he barely played on defense last season. Hudson in the 2020 regular season played in 16 games, but on just 4.88% of Washington's defensive snaps. However, Hudson in the 2020 regular season did lead Washington in special team snaps at 81.96%. So he already brings value. And Kalik Hudson offers, wait for it, position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron. Position flex. Uh, Kalik Hudson at Michigan was similar to Isaiah Simmons at Clemson. Remember, going into the 2020 NFL draft, a ton of hype for Isaiah Simmons off the hybrid linebacker safety corner role that he served for Clemson. Well, Hudson was Isaiah Simmons-like for Michigan in 2019, in that Hudson played all over the field. For Pro Football Focus, Hudson in 2019 for Michigan had 371 snaps as a box safety, 210 snaps as a slot corner, 200 snaps as a defensive lineman, 52 snaps as a free safety, and 20 snaps as an outside corner. Hudson in 2019 started all 13 games for Michigan at the Viper position, which is a hybrid safety linebacker role, not unlike this Buffalo nickel spot. You know how much Ron loves guys with, yes, position flex. Position flex. Yes, exactly. Hudson very much offers position flex. Here was Ron on Monday on Kalik Hudson getting some run at the Buffalo nickel spot. The, the way teams are running offenses now, the sub packages are becoming more prevalent. And so we've got a, uh, a lot of guys that we want to take a real good long look at. Uh, Kalik is one of those guys that, that seem to deserve that opportunity. You know, last year we did it with Cam Curl. We put him in the Buffalo position. We've taken a look at Cam there. Um, you know, it's a defense that we played uh, in Carolina when we had Shaq Thompson. And Kalik fit, fits that mold. And so we really want to take a long look at him. Um, you know, we've had Cam down there a couple of times as well. So we've worked probably five different combinations of players in that situation. Um, and we'll see. Uh, going into the preseason games, we'll probably uh, take a good look at a couple of those guys and see if, they've, uh, if, they, if they get it, if they, if they have a good feel for doing that. 
I said this in episode 103 of the podcast when I gave you my three biggest training camp questions for the Washington football team at linebacker. Every year, there is a player who ends up being a pleasant surprise. Sometimes there are players who end up being a pleasant surprise as. Uh, guys, you know, who aren't talked about a bunch going into a season, but guys who end up excelling in that season. Kalik Hudson, to me, feels like a candidate to be one of those guys for Washington this coming season. I could very much see him taking a big step forward in 2021, both in terms of playing time and in terms of production. Let's talk quarterback. I mentioned Kyle Allen dealing with his tweaked left ankle. So camp on Monday was about Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, more so than in any other training camp practice so far. Steven Montez got some additional work as well. Had they look, here was Ron. I thought they did a nice job. I really did. You know, they both had their moments. Um, you know, I, I think as you look at it, Fitz is getting more and more comfortable, and you see, uh, and, and you see Taylor really just kind of you know picking up where he left off. There were a couple shots today of him moving around, making plays, um, and, and that's kind of what we expect from both of them. And then uh, Stephen took advantage of his opportunity to get a few more reps today. Uh, you know, he's got a ways to go, but uh, you know we like his, his his talent. We like who he is as a young football player. Yeah, Ron almost always makes it a point to mention Steven Montez. I don't know that that's indicative of anything, but whenever Ron gets asked about the quarterbacks, he does almost always invoke the name Steven Montez. Like, I think when Ron talks about Steven as a developmental guy, I think Ron is legitimate when he says that. Like, I think he does believe that there is something to Steven Montez. Now, what does that mean for Steven's future? Who knows? And we know that Washington is trying him out in this Taysom Hill-like role, so we'll see if he even, you know, has a legit chance here of making the season opening roster, but that is notable. Ron frequently does bring up Steven Montez. So Washington football team training camp now is seven days old. At what point do Ron's expectations for his quarterbacks rise in terms of comfort with pass catchers? Well, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for when you start seeing that comfort uh, zone where, where, you know, they, they can look at each other and, they, and, and get a feel and understanding of, of what they need to do to, to, to get themselves open, to, to be a target. And, um, and for Fitz and, and Taylor to be able to read that, know when to, to, to work towards them. And speaking of pass catchers, a guy who can make a big impact in Washington's passing game, but really didn't last season, is Antonio Gibson. Will Gibson, this coming season, be the force in the passing game that we think he can be? A big-time topic at Washington football team training camp on Monday was Antonio Gibson, who spoke via post-training camp practice press conference, and for whom there is a lot of hype. Gibson has become a football analytics and fantasy football darling. People are anticipating big things from Gibson this coming season, of him having been one of the more efficient running backs in the NFL last season. His raw statistical totals don't necessarily blow you away, but some of the advanced stats do. Now, before we move any further, Gibson did provide an update on his turf toe, and the update was a positive one. So Gibson last December missed two consecutive games due to a turf toe injury that was suffered in the win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13. Gibson in a Zoom press conference after Washington's OTA practice on June 2nd said that he was still working through the turf toe injury and wasn't yet 100%. But this was Gibson on Monday on the turf toe. Uh, it's been good. Uh, just making sure I stay on top of it, treating it after practice, you know, after the long days to get kind of sore. But other than that, I'm fine out there. Uh, it's getting better. So, you know, I feel fine. All right. So good news there. He's not completely over the turf toe, but he seems to be close to being over the turf toe. Ron Rivera on Monday on where Gibson is at with his turf toe. 
he, he seemed to have bounced back from that. It hampered him a little bit during during OTAs and minicamp, uh, but right now, so far, it's been really good, and, and we you know we got to be smart and keep an eye on it. Three stats to me capture how good Antonio Gibson was in his rookie season. A, and this is a raw stat, uh, but Gibson finished the 2020 regular season with 1,045 scrimmage yards. He became just the seventh rookie in franchise history and the first since running back Alfred Morris in 2012 to have at least 1,000 scrimmage yards. B, Gibson finished the 2020 regular season number six among 47 qualified running backs in rushing DVOA for football outsiders at 18.7%. And C, Gibson in the 2020 regular season for Pro Football Focus gained positive yardage on 96.2% of his rushes, the highest such rate among qualified running backs in a season since 2012. And what makes all of that even more impressive is that Gibson was and is learning the running back position. How about this admission from Gibson on Monday? Running back, I still have a lot to learn. Um, so, you know, I feel like running back is still, I'm taking my time with that. Uh, I get more into that than I do right receiver. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's way, I feel like I got right receiver a little more down packed than, than running back right now. Yeah, so Gibson says that he still has a lot to learn at running back, even though Gibson last regular season rushed for 795 yards and 11 touchdowns on 4.68 yards per carry. Not bad for a guy who still has a lot to learn at running back. So Gibson at Memphis was a combo running back receiver. One of the things that Gibson was still learning last season was when to press holes as a running back. Ron Rivera on Monday on where Gibson is at in that regard. He's getting a much better feel for it. Um, you watched a couple times today. He, he, he went into the line. You could see a little stutter step, and, and his eyes went outside, and he made a cut. Now, he did do that again, and he shouldn't have cut. He should have, he should have pressed it a little bit longer. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that, again, he's going to continue to work at it, get that feel. But you're starting to see it come. And, and, and especially, uh, like I said today, I saw a good glimpse of when he does do it the right way, it can create something. And this was Gibson on Monday on knowing when to press holes as there's a balance, right, that a running back has to strike between getting necessary yardage versus trying to set up the big run. I'm learning that. Uh, I'm actually, it's it's kind of frustrating, but uh, like I said, that goes with situation. Knowing when you just, when you need those two or three yards, just, you know, get north. Uh, and sometimes when you can make a play happen, you know, make a play happen. So uh, it's kind of, it get frustrating sometimes, but I, I definitely, sometimes that get to me. But other than that, like I said, third and short, you know, you want to get down. If it's long, you know, big time play, you feel like you can make it happen, make it happen. So what about the Christian McCaffrey comparison? Ron Rivera, of course, coached Christian McCaffrey during Ron's time as Carolina Panthers head coach. Ron, the night on which Washington took Gibson in the third round of the 2020 NFL draft, did not shy away from comparing Gibson to McCaffrey. Take it back to April 24th, 2020, Ron on the Gibson-McCaffrey comp, quote, that's fair. He's a little bit bigger than Christian, but he's got a skill set like Christian. He's shown some position flexibility playing in the slot. Then he shows position flexibility playing in the backfield, end quote. So even back then on night two of the 2020 NFL draft, we had Ron, Don Ron, talking up position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron position flex. Right on Monday, asked about Gibson potentially being McCaffrey-like for Washington. Well, you know, you watch him and, and just remembering what he did coming out of college and you saw him 
line up as that wide receiver and and and, and beat linebackers and, and beat safeties and every now and then beat the nickel. So you know he's capable of that. Uh, you know, we mix him up. I, you guys don't get to see it all, but some of the stuff that we do with him, um, you know, is, is working towards creating that that uh, that uh, mismatch that you look for, that opportunity for, for us to put him somewhere and say, hey, we like what we got. Let's go get it. Well, and if Antonio Gibson is going to be Washington's version of Christian McCaffrey, two things really need to change regarding Gibson this upcoming season. And the two things have to do with how Washington utilizes Gibson. Number one, Washington needs to use him more as a pass catcher. And number two, Washington needs to use Gibson more on third downs. Antonio Gibson in the 2020 regular season was not utilized as much as he can be. And some of this is on Antonio Gibson. I will grant you that. So Gibson at Memphis, like I said, he was a combo running back receiver. But understand, Gibson in his final season at Memphis, 2019, averaged 19.3 yards per reception, 19.3 yards per catch. And yet Gibson in the 2020 regular season had just 36 receptions for 247 yards on 44 targets. For comparison's sake, J.D. McKissick in the 2020 regular season had 80 receptions for 589 yards and two touchdowns on 110 targets. McKissick was targeted 110 times. Gibson was targeted just 44 times. Now look, McKissick is a very good pass-catching running back. But you'd like to think that there will be more opportunity for Gibson as a pass-catcher this coming season, given the upside in Antonio Gibson. Here was Ron on Monday on Gibson learning to be a pass-catcher as a running back in the NFL. Well, part of it is is when he takes off on his route, you know, the angles in which he takes the routes and understanding that coming out of the backfield gives you a little bit more time to set up a, 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 a move but at the same time, you, you've got to, you, you just can't kind of launch yourself. You've got to get going. Um, it's a little nuances that running backs, you know, have, have been doing for a long time. You know, for him, it's really only been last year. So he's, he's got to understand that concept a little bit more. Um, I think he appreciates the fact that he gets matched up on, on linebackers a little bit more uh, as opposed to DBs. And then with Gibson on third downs. So this really is something else. Antonio Gibson in the 2020 regular season, incredibly, had just 11 third down touches. That's it. 11 third down touches the entire regular season for Antonio Gibson. And it's not like these were non-productive third down touches. Gibson had eight third down carries. The eight third down carries totaled 55 yards and two touchdowns, 6.88 yards per carry. Gibson had three third down receptions. The three third down receptions totaled 47 yards and the three third down receptions came on three targets. And it would be one thing if Washington's offense on third downs in the 2020 regular season was outstanding. But as you almost certainly know, that was not the case. Washington in the 2020 regular season was number 23 out of 32 NFL teams in third down efficiency at 39.11%. Now, regarding Gibson's lack of third down touches, Ron on Monday did hit on Gibson's lack of third down touches last season. Ron got asked about what Gibson becoming a true total package in terms of ball carrier and pass catcher would mean. And here's what Ron said. Well, what will happen is it'll it'll increase his opportunities on third down situations for us. Um, It'll also add to being able to do some different personnel groupings where, you know, you can put him in there with two running backs, which we did last year. And now all of a sudden one of them splits out and one stays in the backfield. And depending on how the defense reacts, you know, we'll run a certain play. So 
that's what it'll do for us. It'll, it'll open up the playbook a little bit more. Antonio Gibson, to me, presents to Washington the chance to have something that the team hasn't had much of over the years, and that is a true dual threat running back. Chris Thompson was a true dual threat running back, but Chris Thompson was hurt a lot, and he wasn't utilized as a ball carrier all that much. I felt like Chris Thompson should have been used more as a ball carrier, but if you think about Washington's best running backs over the last, say, 40 years, all of them were essentially pure runners as opposed to dual threats. Alfred Morris, Clinton Portis, Stephen Davis, Terry Allen, Ernest Biner. Although I will say this for Biner, he in the 1989 regular season did have 54 receptions over 16 games. So in that season, Ernest Biner truly was a dual threat, but he never had more than 39 receptions in any of his other regular seasons with Washington. But you think about George Rogers, John Riggins. You know, Joe Washington was a true dual threat running back for Washington for a few seasons in the early 1980s. Kelvin Bryant was a true dual threat running back for Washington for a few seasons in the late 1980s. But the list of true dual threat backs for Washington over the years really isn't that long. To me, the best pass catching running backs for Washington in the Dan Snyder era have been Chris Thompson and Larry Centers, although Centers was a fullback, so I'm not sure if we even should count Larry Centers, but Chris Thompson was a legitimate dual threat running back. His 2017 season is one of the best seasons we've ever seen a Washington running back have in terms of pass catching, especially when you consider that Thompson that season did what he did over just 10 games. If you remember, Thompson that season suffered a season-ending fractured right fibula and that overtime loss at the New Orleans Saints in Week 11. But Thompson, over just 10 games, had 39 receptions for 510 yards and four touchdowns on 54 targets. He averaged 13.1 yards per reception. And Thompson in that 2017 regular season, despite playing in just the 10 games, finished number nine in the NFL in Yak at 483 per ESPN. Thompson also had a good pass catching season in the 2016 regular season, 16 games, 49 receptions for 349 yards and two touchdowns on 62 targets. Larry Centers to me is so much fun to look at. Again, he was a fullback, but Larry Centers in 1999 and 2000, back-to-back big years as a pass catching back. Centers in 99, and remember that was an NFC East winning Washington team, right? The team went 10 and 6, won the division. Centers over 16 games that regular season, 69 receptions for 544 yards and three touchdowns on 90 targets. And then centers in the 2000 regular season over 15 games, 81 receptions for 600 yards and three touchdowns on 93 targets. But going back to some of those pure backs, who Washington has had in the Dan Snyder era, like Alfred Morris. He never had more than 17 receptions in a season over his four seasons with Washington, 2012 through 2015. Steven Davis never had more than 33 receptions in a season over his seven seasons with Washington, 1996 through 2002. Liddell Betts is kind of interesting. So Liddell Betts in the 2006 regular season over 16 games did have 53 receptions for 445 yards and a touchdown on 64 targets, but Betts didn't have more than 22 receptions in any of his other seasons with Washington. And Betts was here for a while, 2002 through 2009. So Antonio Gibson really has an opportunity to A, greatly impact Washington's offense if he can take that next step 
as a pass-catching running back, but B, really stand out as something that Washington has not had much of over the years, and that is a true dual-threat running back, a true weapon in the backfield in terms of a guy who can be lethal both as a ball carrier and as a pass-catcher. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, another Washington football team player who spoke on Monday via post-training camp practice press conference was William Jackson III. Now, one of my top three training camp questions for the Washington football team at corner that I discussed in episode 104 of the podcast was, do we get any indications that more man coverage is coming? Washington's pass defense last regular season ended up being great. Yes, the pass defense struggled and the loss to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wild card game. But Washington as a team last regular season was excellent against the pass. Number two in the NFL in pass defense for football outsiders, DVOA metric. And Washington last regular season was number six in the NFL in third down defense. And yes, a good chunk of that did have to do with Washington playing a less than stellar cast of quarterbacks as the season went on. But still, Washington against the pass last regular season was really good. So much better than what we saw in the 2019 regular season. And Washington did what it did in the 2020 regular season, playing a lot of zone coverage. Washington's secondary last regular season for football outsiders played man coverage just 24% of the time. That ranked 25th in the NFL in terms of highest usage of man coverage. A man who thrived in this system, right, was Ronald Darby. He ended up being healthy and great last season. His loan season with Washington got himself a big money free agent contract 
with the Denver Broncos this past March. Washington, of course, spent good money to sign William Jackson III as an unrestricted free agent this past March. He is known for excelling in man coverage. And so are we going to see more man coverage in 2021, especially given that Jack Del Rio, during his time as Denver Broncos defensive coordinator, used man coverage quite a bit? Jack was the Broncos defensive coordinator from 2012 through 2014. The Broncos NFL rankings in total defense per DVOA in those regular seasons, number five in 2012, number 15 in 2013, number four in 2014. So top five in two or three seasons. So given that, given what Jackson can do, given potentially what someone like Benjamin St. Juice can do, and given that it's not like Kendall Fuller and Jimmy Moreland are incapable of playing man coverage, it has felt like we're going to see more man coverage from Washington this coming season. And in fact, Jack indicated as much in a conversation with Julie Donaldson of the Washington football team on WashingtonFootball.com back in May. However, William Jackson III on Monday may have let the cat out of the bag. And the cat isn't what we were expecting. Jackson on Monday on what has been the biggest adjustment for him with Jack Del Rio's defense. Uh, uh, it's more a zone, you know, I, I came from a, a kind of man system. So with the zone, I'm just getting comfortable on where guys need to be, like linebackers, safeties, and knowing where they need to be and what I need to do to make plays in the defense. All right, so William Jackson the third flat out says, quote, it's more zone, end quote. You wonder if old Jackie Del Rio is thrilled that William Jackson the third said that in his post-practice press conference on Monday. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that Washington this coming season will like exclusively play zone. No team does that. What Jackson said doesn't even mean that Washington this coming season will mostly play zone. Maybe Jackson was purposely trying to throw us off. But that stood out to me of Jack Del Rio having suggested that more man coverage from Washington for this coming season is likely, of just logic suggesting that more man coverage from Washington for this coming season is likely. Maybe Washington's defense is going to continue to primarily feature zone coverage. I mean, that was a staple of Ron Rivera's Carolina Panthers defenses. I mean, there is no right answer. Zone can work. Man coverage can work. All that matters is that you're good against the pass. Because as much as people love to talk about stopping the run, nothing on defense matters more than stopping the pass. This is a passing league. You are doomed if you're bad against the pass. But I do find things like this interesting, right? The strategery of football. Strategery. Yes, the strategery. What is the best deployment for this current crop of Washington defensive backs? And it sounds like if you go by what William Jackson III said on Monday, that zone coverage may still be the primary way for the Washington football team secondary in the 2021 season. Well, here's how whacked out the national season has become. There was confusion on Monday night regarding what the final score of the game was. Was it 6-5 or 7-5? The confusion had to do with the Philadelphia Phillies run scoring on a double play for the second and third outs in the top of the ninth, what was a five-run Phillies ninth. The run counted. It scored before the double play was complete. And so, yes, 7-5 was the final as the Nats lost game one of a four-game series against the Phillies at Nationals Park. Nats now are 49-57 and on the season. But I don't know that I've ever seen that. Mass confusion at
at the end of a baseball game over what was the final score. That happens all of the time in basketball games, right? Because you have end of game shots that may or may not count, but that doesn't happen often in baseball. But whether the final score was 7-5 or 6-5, the final score should have been 3-2. More on that in a bit. But the headline item from this 7-5 Nats loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Monday night, aside from the praying mantis on the cap of Victor Robles, boy, did that become a big thing on social media, was the Nationals debut of Josiah Gray. And we're now into a portion of the Nationals season that's a lot like where the Orioles have been all of this season and truth be told, all of recent seasons. And that is, it's not about the outcomes of games anymore. It's much more about the process of these games. It's much more about individual performances in these games. And Josiah Gray's performance is what mattered the most from Monday night. Now, you could argue it didn't really matter what he did in this game because you weren't going to write the guy off as a prospect if he struggled. And that's true. But it was really good to see Josiah Gray do well in his Nationals debut. Josiah Gray on Monday night in his Nats debut allowed one run in five innings. He was not lights out. You know, this was not the Steven Strasburg Major League debut of June 2010. But this was a good, solid first step as a Washington National. Josiah Gray gave up just four hits, a solo homer, and three singles. He issued two walks. He did have just two strikeouts, but he threw 47 strikes versus 24 balls on 71 pitches. The Nats acquired Gray and catcher Bear Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for, of course, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized this past Friday. Gray, as of Monday, per MLB Pipeline, was the Nats' number two prospect and the number 41 overall prospect in baseball. Now, Gray had pitched in the majors already this season. He made his major league debut earlier this season, and he had actually had some struggles with the Dodgers. He had eight innings over two games, including one start with LA, allowed six runs, gave up four homers, although he also totaled 13 strikeouts. Gray looked good on Monday night. Perfect top of the first struck out Gene Segura on five pitches, including a 95.3 mile per hour four seam fastball for a swinging strike three. Gray tossed scoreless third and fourth innings despite allowing two runners on base in each inning. He, in the scoreless top of the fourth, issued a leadoff four-pitch walk of Bryce Harper and then gave up a first-pitch single to JT Realmuto, but Gray then recorded three consecutive outs. Gray allowed a run in the top of the fifth on a leadoff four-count homer by Oduble Herrera. Gray, in the inning, also issued a two-out four-pitch walk of Gene Segura. Look, Josiah Gray, he was not perfect. He was not dominant, but he was effective. He worked quickly, he worked efficiently, he threw strikes, and ultimately, the run prevention was there, one run in five innings. I thought Davey Martinez pulled Josiah Gray at just the right time, get out while the getting's still good. Josiah Gray gave a post-game press conference in which I thought he did a nice job, looked poised, you know, gave smart answers. There's a lot to like about Josiah Gray. Now, he's made one start for the Nationals, okay? So we're not here to crown the guy that adds a successor to Max Scherzer. Let's see what happens. But good job by Josiah Gray on Monday night. And think about this. How often do teams sell off the way the Nats just sold off? And then immediately get to see one of the prized pickups in the sell-off at the major league level. Like usually the way this works is you sell off and then you don't get to see any of those prospects for at least a few years, right? Or at least a season. In this case, (laughs) the sell-off was completed on Friday. Josiah Gray made his Nats debut on Monday night. That's a pretty unique scenario. And it wasn't just Josiah Gray who made his Nats debut on Monday night. Mason Thompson 
made his Nats debut on Monday night as well. So the Nats got Mason Thompson from the San Diego Padres in the Daniel Hudson trade. This was a trade that was made very early Friday morning. The Nats dealt Hudson to the Padres for Thompson and infielder Jordy Barley. Thompson was the Padres' number nine prospect per MLB pipeline. This guy is tall. This guy is a flamethrower. This guy got into some trouble on Monday night, but he ultimately ended up being effective. Thompson tossed a scoreless top of the sixth despite giving up back-to-back two-out singles to Alec Bohm and D.D. Gregorius and then issuing a two-out four-pitch walk of Odubel Herrera. But Thompson then struck out pinch hitter Reese Hoskins on three pitches. So good to see that Mason Thompson ultimately got the job done, did a nice job in his Nats debut. It's funny how this worked out. Josiah Gray and Mason Thompson back-to-back. Josiah starting the game. Mason relieving Josiah make their Nats debuts off having just been acquired by the Nats this past Friday. So with the Nats bullpen on Monday night, uh, that was a bit of a problem, that bullpen. Five Nats relievers in this game ultimately combined to allow six runs in four innings. You know, through six innings, things look good, and then everything fell apart. Sam Clay, in what ended up being a Phillies one-run seventh inning, faced three batters, but got just one out. He retired the first batter he faced, but then issued a one-out seven-pitch walk of Gene Segura, and then gave up a one-out full-count double to our old pal, Bryce Harper. Andres Machado then came into the game. He and that Phillies one-run seventh issued a one-out run-scoring wild pitch with the bases loaded to allow an inherited runner to score for a 2-1 Phillies lead. Then came one of my favorite Nats now, Gabe Klobositz, the 6'7", 270-pound stirrups-wearing reliever who the Nats took in the 36th round in the 2017 MLB draft. Klobo, as he's known. Klobo tossed a perfect top of the eighth on four pitches. He looked great. I mean, you talk about efficiency. A perfect inning on four pitches. That's about as good as it can get, right? I mean, I guess a perfect inning on three pitches is as good as it can get, but that's close. A perfect inning on four pitches. Klobo looks the part. He acted the part with that four-pitch perfect top of the eighth inning. I was all ready to anoint Gabe Klobositz, a.k.a. Klobo, as Klobo cop, and then came the top of the ninth inning. Now, Kyle Finnegan, who has graduated into being the Nats' new closer with both Hudson and Brad Hand gone, had been used a ton lately. So Kyle Finnegan was not available on Monday night. So Davey Martinez had Gabe Klobositz start the top of the ninth inning, but uh, old Klobo uh, was a no-go in that inning. He gave up back-to-back singles, then got pulled from the game. And who did Davey go to? Not Ryan Harper, who actually has been sneaky effective for the Nationals this season. Not Jeffrey Rodriguez, who Davey just cannot stand to use. That's as clear as can be. Davey went to Wander Suero, the Rex Grossman of the Nationals bullpen. 50-50 Suero. Sometimes he's good, uh, but sometimes he's not so good. And Suero, not so good in this game on Monday night. He came into the game in the top of the ninth with no outs, runners on first and second, and the Nats nursing a 3-2 lead. He gave up a game-tying opposite field RBI double to the right center field gap to the first battery faced Gene Segura. Suero then issued an intentional walk to Bryce Harper to load the bases. Suero then gave up a full count two-run single to JT Realmuto for a 5-3 Phillies lead, despite him having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. Suero then gave up a one-out RBI single to Alec Bohm for a 6-3 Phillies lead, and then a fifth Phillies run in that ninth inning scored on an inning-ending double play. The run scored before the double play was completed. Wander Suero was a mess in this game. The Nationals' bullpen as a whole 
ended up being a mess in this game. Again, Klobositz and Suero combined to give up five runs in that top of the ninth inning. Now, again, it's not really about the outcomes of these games anymore for the Nationals. The Nats have tapped out on this season from a standpoint of devoting assets to this season. The players are still trying. Davey Martinez and his staff, uh, most of which remains out due to COVID-19, are still trying. But it's not about wins and losses anymore for the Nationals, even though they're going to remain relevant in the National League East standings just because the division is so bad. So if you're a Nats fan, I mean, I wouldn't be that upset about what happened in the top of the ninth on Monday night. But yeah, it was ugly. Uh, That was not pretty what ended up going down. As far as the Nationals' offense on Monday night, Nats scored five runs on six hits and four walks, went one of four with runners in scoring position. The Nats' first three runs came via pinch hits. Andrew Stevenson had a one-out pinch solo home in the right field in the bottom of the sixth to tie the game at one. And then Ryan Zimmerman delivered. He came up to pinch hit with one out, the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh inning, and he came through, punched a pinch one-out two-run seeing-eye single through the left side of the infield for a 3-2 Nats lead. You know, Zimmerman had been really bad this season as a pinch hitter, even with that hit, and that was a big hit, and the crowd went nuts at Nationals Park. Zimmerman on the season now has the following slash line as a pinch hitter. This is, again, even with what he did on Monday night. Batting average of 139, on base percentage of 139, slugging percentage of 278. He has not done well as a pinch hitter, but he did do well in that spot on Monday night. Good to see that. We also had Carter Keboom do well offensively on Monday night. The Nationals youth movement continued. Victor Robles was back out there, starting center fielder, leadoff batter. Carter Keboom was back out there, starting third baseman, number six batter. Keboom went two for four with a two-run homer and a single. He smacked a two-run homer on a bomb to left field in the bottom of the ninth inning. The homer going a projected 423 feet per stat cast. Keboom had a broken bat single in the Nats' two-run seventh inning. Luis Garcia remained as the national starting shortstop. He was a number seven batter, but went 0 for 4 in the game. Also, Yadiel Hernandez had another good game for the Nationals. Now, he's an older guy, uh, but Yadiel, off that great performance in the Nationals' 6-5 walk-off win over the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon, 4 for 5 with two solo homers, including a walk-off homer, an RBI single, another single, and a nice defensive play. Yadiel back out there on Monday. Monday night starting left fielder a number five batter one for three with a single a walk and an outfield assist and the outfield assist was one of the plays of the game a great throw to gun down Bryce Harper at home for the final out in the Phillies one run seventh inning on an inning ending double play off Yadiel catching a Brad Miller full count fly out for the second out. Uh, the hit for Yadiel was a good-looking leadoff. Opposite field single to left field in the Nats' two-run seventh. And Yadiel had a leadoff walk in the Nats' two-run ninth inning. Game two for the Nats against the Phillies at Nationals Park Tuesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin versus Zach Wheeler. There are many things to be tracking for the Nationals as this season plays out. Among them, to me, is what goes down with Corbin. Now, look, he's not going anywhere, okay? This is year three of a six-year, $140 million contract. But he has been a disaster so far this season off having been really bad last season. It would be nice if Patrick Corbin somehow got on track the rest of this season. Corbin, over 20 starts this season, has an ERA of 578, has a whip of 147. His last start came in that 11-8-8 inning loss at the Phillies in game two of a doubleheader split last Thursday afternoon. He allowed four runs in five innings. He at one point allowed three home runs over the course of four batters. He has got to be better. He is paid to be a lot better than, again, an ERA of 578. Let's see if he can be better over the course of the rest of this season. 
All right, so as the Orioles continue along this path of rebuilding, as the O's are in the midst of continuing to tank, uh, a process that, as you likely know, I fully endorse, I must admit to you that there still is an opponent who I do root for the O's to beat and to beat soundly. I don't root against the O's, but I certainly don't mind when they lose right now. They're better off losing right now in the midst of the rebuilding and the tanking. But I make an exception when the O's play the New York Yankees. I despise the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees are part of my sports axis of hate. It is the New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Duke Blue Devils. From a sports standpoint, I will forever hate those three teams. And so seeing what we saw on Monday night, I must say, put a smile on my face. A 7-1 Orioles win at the Yankees in game one of a three-game series as the Orioles were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, they were, Joe Angel. And the O's, believe it or not, now have won 10 of their last 15 games. Although the O's do still have the worst record in the American League at 38 and 67. The Texas Rangers improved to 39 and 67, a 4-1 win over the Los Angeles Angels. So even with 10 wins in 15 games, the O's still have the worst record in the AL. Again, the O's are a rebuilding and tanking team. But this was a nice win. In fact, Orioles manager Brandon Hyde, after the game, called the win, quote, our most complete game of the year in all phases, end quote. And how about the job done by Jorge Lopez? You know, Jorge Lopez really has become a fan favorite over the last few weeks with what he revealed recently. Lopez, in a post-game press conference on July 17th, revealing that he had gone on the bereavement list due to his son having received a bone marrow transplant as his son was undergoing chemotherapy. I mean, just a heartbreaking story. He has not had a good season, as we've talked about. Lopez came into the game last night with an ERA of 619 and a whip of 168 over 21 starts this season. And yet, what did Jorge Lopez do on Monday night? He teased a no-hitter. Jorge Lopez at the Mighty Yankees tossed five no-hit innings before giving up a full-count leadoff double to Joey Gallo in the bottom of the sixth. Uh, Lopez allowed one run in six innings. Now, he did issue five walks, a balk, and a hit by pitch, so he was far from dominant, but one run in six innings. You take that and run with it if you're Jorge Lopez this year. He only gave up just that one hit, and he had four strikeouts, so really cool to see Jorge Lopez do as he did. And then there was the Orioles' offense in this win at the Yankees on Monday night. The O's scored seven runs despite going 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. How often do you see something like that? A team scoring seven runs despite going 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. The Yankees, by the way, also went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. But how about what the O's did to the Yankees starting pitcher, Andrew Heaney? Poor Andrew Heaney. The O's smashed four solo homers off Heaney, who now has an ERA of 542 on the season and now has given up 20 home runs on the season. Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes hit back-to-back two-out solo homers in the Orioles' two-run third. Mullins also had a single in the game. Ryan Mountcastle smashed a first-pitch leadoff homer in the Orioles' two-run fourth. He also had a double and a single in the game. And Ramon Orias blasted a one-out solo homer in the Orioles' two-run fourth inning. So it was a feel-good night for the Birds. Uh, they have not had many of these over the last few seasons, but we did get one of them on Monday night. Game two for the O's at the Yankees, Tuesday night at 7.05. Alexander Wells 
is starting for the O's. Garrett Cole was supposed to start for the Yankees, but Yankees manager Aaron Boone revealed after the Orioles win at the Yankees on Monday night that Cole has tested positive for COVID-19. So the Yankees now are dealing with that. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday's installment of the podcast, episode 115, will feature everything that you need to know about the Washington football team, especially with us on Tuesday having the first padded practice of 2021 Washington football team training camp. The violence is being taken to another level. We'll discuss whatever goes down with the Wizards and NBA free agency as well as we all remain on Spencer Dinwiddie Watch. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Strategery. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.